Before we get started, we're going to say a word of prayer, and then uh, I'm going to share the link um, from our Facebook page, and we will get started. All right. Um, dear, kind, gracious, loving, heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity once more to come together and study your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would send your Holy Spirit to us and enlighten us wherever our understanding is darkened. Help us to glean the principles, Lord, that are contained in these writings that we may apply them to our own lives. And uh, help us to have a good study. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All righty. All right, give me just a second. I'm going to try to share the live stream, which I'm not seeing it yet. <laughs> okay. All right, well, let's go ahead and get started, and then maybe I can share it in a little bit if it, um, if it comes up. All right, cool. Uh, as I said, we're studying about ministers' wives. And um, the first, you see it? Yes. Oh, okay. All right, well, let me go back. He says he sees it now, so I'm gonna try to share it on my Facebook page. Okay, there we go. All right. All right, and if anybody else wants to share it right now, now is the time to share it. Okay, all right. Okay. Um. So again, we're dealing with chapter 81, Testimonies for the Church, the Minister's Wife. And she starts out talking about how Satan works through the wives of unconsecrated, uh, well, the unconsecrated wives of ministers um, to draw them away from um, the work that the ministers have to do and are, are, are have set out to do. And she says that the most effectual way in which he can work is through home influences, through unconsecrated companions. And if he can control their minds, he can, through them, more readily gain access to the minister or the husband who is laboring in word and doctrine to save souls. Uh, and then towards the end of that paragraph, she says, many have disregarded the sacred obligation resting upon them to improve the light and privileges given and walk as children of the light. If the veil could be parted and all could see just how their cases are regarded in heaven, there would be an awakening and each would fear, inquire, what shall I do to be saved? Has anybody ever asked that question of the Lord? What shall I do to be saved? No, I remember asking that question of the Lord. Um, I had started a Bible study class uh, with uh, at Northside, Seventh-day Adventist Church, and uh, Henry Mitchell was teaching the class. And um, I just asked, what shall I do to be saved? And it seemed to me that the Lord just directed me to that class. And 
I took the class and uh, haven't looked back since then. Just continued working in the Lord's Vineyard since then. Um, the next paragraph says that the minister's wife was not devoted to God is no help to her husband. And while he dwells upon the, the necessity of bearing the cross and urges the importance of self-denial, the daily example of his wife often contradicts his preaching and destroys its force. And in this way, she becomes a great hindrance and often leads her husband away from his duty and from God. And she does not realize what a sin she is committing. So instead of seeking to be useful, seeking with true love for souls to help such as need help, she shrinks from the task and prefers a useless life. Now, we don't want to point any fingers, so we won't mention any names. But has anyone ever encountered a minister's wife that you thought was like that? We can't mention names. <laughs> no, <laughs> we can't mention any names. <laughs> well, I had, I had a comment about the uh, first part before we go there was uh, talking about how Satan works through home influences, through unconsecrated companions. And that's not mm -hmm. only for our spouses, but our children too. He's working through all of the family members because when you think about it, you're around those persons the most usually the their home. So if he can constantly have people that's picking on uh, what the Lord is trying to get through to you and he's constantly uh, downplaying what God's word is saying to you and kind of leading you astray. And if you want to have prayer, then they are doing other things to disregard the prayer. You know, that's, that's a constant battle that you're going through and it tires you out and it wears the person out. And the devil knows that. So it's very important for the whole family to try and be on one accord. Our, um, our, our witnessing examples should start always at home and then go abroad. But many times we're so busy reaching out to others that we forget the people in our own household. So that's an interesting point that you bring up, Lee. So is that, how, how has... Uh, the sheltering at home, hi Lakita, how has the sheltering at home affected what you just said? Oh, because we're in the COVID? Yeah, and because we're around each other even more than we were before. Yeah, it could be good, it could be bad. From what I've heard, there's a lot of people, a lot more domestic violence going on for one thing, a lot of mm -hmm. people divorce. But on the other side, I'm sure there are some other people who have become good witnesses for the Lord with their families as well. Because if you're not around a person to see the light of Christ shining out from them, but now here you are with them constantly, gives you an opportunity to see the love of Christ coming off of that person. So it could work both ways is what you're saying. Mm -hmm. It could go either way. Huh. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, any other comments about that? So then sort of down in the middle of the second paragraph, she talks about how um, the minister's wife, if she's not constrained by the power of Christ's love and by unselfish holy principles, and she does not choose to do the will of God and be a coworker with her husband and the angels of God, she says, then when the, men, the wife of the minister accompanies her husband in his mission to save souls, it is a great sin for her to hinder him in his work by manifesting unhappy discontent. 
And some of this, you know, we're not privy to it because this is probably so a lot of it is going on in the minister's home. And so we don't see that. Uh, but I think sometimes we do see uh, ministers' wives who really take no part publicly in the ministry that their husband is um, is dedicated to. And so um, I know I've seen that, you know, again, not pointing any fingers at anyone or calling out any names, but I've seen that where the minister's wife will just sit and not, and not, really, not really even be involved in any of the ministries of the church. I guess it can um, be, I think it can be pretty difficult for the wife too because I think she can like trying to keep those boundaries clear she has to work for Christ too she has a job to do in terms of witnessing herself but his job is that's his job it's not like her husband is a auto mechanic or something like that so and then usually they are at the same church with the with the husband so she doesn't want to overstep her boundaries, you know, and be in stuff that she shouldn't be in. But yet at the same time, like you said, it should not, it, you know, at least from where we're seeing it, it should not be nothing. It's not like an all or nothing situation, but I, I can see how it could be a difficult, um, a difficult for her to separate the two. And, you know, what's, what's interesting is that I've sat in, nominating committees and I can probably count on one hand the times that that a minister's wife has been nominated for a position I just don't remember it happening too often you know um usually they get usually people expect them to do something you know um homeless ministry or something they don't have to do everything like treasurer or you know right of course people kind of expect them to be involved in some way, not be, you know, we've seen also ministers wives who weren't really involved, period. They didn't want to be involved. They didn't want any office. They didn't want to participate. They just come to church and go home, you know, Mm -hmm. make people feel like, wow, maybe she don't like us or what's going on here, you know? So Mm -hmm. sister wife saying a minister's wife needs to help, you know, assist her husband, not be a hindrance, but to be an encouragement and support. Mm -hmm. I've just seen in the past, I'll say five years or, you know, recently, that the minister wives are just much more active and have their own spiritual life. You know, you can see them, you know, praying and leading out in different areas of the church and stuff. So that's just happened recently. I used to think they weren't allowed to be, you know, nominated for anything in the church. Hmm. Okay. okay. I mean, I know that's not true, but yeah, I, just, right. I just assumed they weren't because that's not, you know, they weren't doing stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they might be wanting to keep an open schedule in case the pastor needs them to come and go with him somewhere. I don't know. There's no telling. Uh, yeah, that's a good, that would be a, a, a good reason uh, to do that. But that really has not a lot to do with not being in any ministry in the church. So, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it says, she says that when the minister's wife 
accompanies her husband in his mission to save souls. And I'm, I am imagining, like you're saying, Lee, traveling somewhere, maybe going to people's homes to visit, maybe going to the hospital to visit, which, you know, don't really, I don't, I don't really recall ministers' wives that I've known doing that, accompanying their husband to a hospital visit or a home visit with anyone. But um, and a lot of times they have young children at home too, or yeah. they're themselves. So um, and so so that's not their um, occupation. It is their husband's occupation. So he may be free during the day to do those things while she's not. In all fairness, you know. Um. But like even on the weekends, for instance, I don't really see that, you know, that accompaniment in that regard. But uh, she said if if things around them are not as agreeable as the wife could wish, uh, she should not indulge homesick feelings or by lack of cheerfulness and by spoken complaints, harass the husband and make his task harder. And perhaps by her discontent, draw him from the place where he could do good. She should not divert the interest of her husband from laboring for the salvation of souls to sympathize with her ailments and gratify her whimsical, discontented feelings. So it's one thing to say, okay, this minister's wife is not helping him in the work of the ministry. And then the other part of that is drawing him away from his work in the ministry. And that's two different things. And and so um, I think um, she's really addressing both here, you know, but particularly drawing the minister away from his work. Sometimes I wonder if uh, pastors' wives knew what they were signing up for when they got married. You know, maybe they didn't understand all the things that pastors supposed to be doing or might be doing. And then once they get married, they think he's going to be home eight to five you know, like a lot of people are, and then they get upset when he's got to get up and go take care of some issues, or he's out at the hospital or at the prayer, you know, prayer meeting or whatever, and they want him to be at home helping with the kids, but, you know, that's sometimes the nature of their job. Uh, a lot of times I always have to laugh if I'm watching a movie or something, you know, and then they have uh, the, the mafia boss, you know, and and the mafia boss is married and his wife wants him to come wash dishes. <laughs> and it's like, who'd you think you married? He ain't coming to wash no dishes. You know, well, so with a pastor's wife, if you didn't know what a pastor does and now all of a sudden he's spending a lot of time out evangelizing and working with everybody, but you, you could get kind of irritated about that. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe, maybe he was called after they were married. Could be. Yeah, that's possible. And, and, and I think that um, especially those who have grown up in the church, you could kind of know what the life of a minister is. And so when you marry that person, you kind of have an idea, I think. Maybe not totally because you, you haven't started living it yet, but um, I think you kind of have an idea of what it entails. And you might have up in the church. some idea because if you uh, see a pastor, you see him up on Sabbath, you see him at prayer meeting, but what do they do the rest of the week? You know, the, the wife still, she still has to, you know, she still has to work out on her own salvation. So going to you know, visit with, with the minister and, you know, helping in that direction, 
I think the problem here is that she's an unconscious. This this woman they're talking about is not your typical, I hope, um, wife. This is an unconsecrated woman, period. You know, she just happens to be married to a pastor. It's not like, you know, um, any other woman can be unconsecrated. Nobody can be unconsecrated. She's an unconsecrated person. And uh, she's saying, Sister White is saying, because she's married to a pastor, you know, her lack of consecrated behavior is going to affect the whole church or, you know, him especially in, in the outcome of his, um, of his work. Now that begs a question to me is, did, did, did the minister consult the Lord before he married the woman or did he just Hello. marry what he liked? <laughs> you know what mm -hmm. I'm thinking about? I'm Unequal, not unequally yoked. I'm thinking about Gomar. Gomer is this? It was this? What was the guy named? He married Jose. Gomer. Jose. Okay. And Gomer. Jose. Say it again. Jose had to marry. God instructed him to marry Jose uh, Gomer. Gomer, right. prostitute. You know, Gomer was born, raised in down in that stuff, and she kept returning. And God had a reason for telling him to marry. Right, and he was trying to teach. He was trying to teach Jose about his relationship with the people of Israel, but but. I mean, in our day and time, you know, how likely is it that that God is going to instruct somebody to marry an unholy woman, you know, and then say, OK, now this is what I'm trying. I mean, I, it's not impossible, of course. I'm not saying that it's impossible. And but also, how, it have how, how much more often do these men pick the women that look good and pleasing to them? It's like Samson. Uh, he went and got the woman that. He, he made his parents get the woman that looked pleasing to him. He said, get her for me. And they were like, well, she's not of our, you know, she's not, she's outside of where you're supposed to marry. Well, get her for me because she pleases me well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, so he did that by himself. But in the end, I think what the thing that's so fascinating about the Bible to me is that, you know, his God's word has multiple purposes in there, you know. In the end, he still ended up doing what God told him to do. You know, he went all the way around the block, but he still got to where God mm -hmm. went. He suffered unnecessarily, which says to us, he's going to be saved, even though he gave up his life. You think? Yeah, he's going to be saved. Yeah, I think he will be. Yes, I do think he will be. But, you know, God, I'm, I'm sure God intended that to work out differently but because of the roads that he went down on his own mm -hmm. you know god's gps had to kind of calibrate differently and my my god had been not only trying to show hosea show israel that but to hosea too i mean like this is what love looks like you know we think love is like you say uh karen i'm gonna marry somebody that looks good and they're gonna you know make me feel good no Marriage is, hey, you know, as sometimes I really don't like you, and but the love of Christ constrained for the love of Christ constrained us to keep our mouth closed, say a lot of prayer, and keep it moving and be kind, act kind in spite of what you feel, what you think, and what you believe you ought to be doing. And I think that's a huge lesson to learn. It's, you know, yeah, maybe I don't know if Gomar was pretty, I know one thing. He would go get Gomar, clean her up, and Gomar would go right back to the dirt. Right, and you know it's funny. I've heard I've heard it said that that um, 
God puts us with people that will grow our spiritual, our spirituality. So for instance, if you got, ask God to teach you about love, he'll put you with someone that's unlovable. Right. And the Bible, there's that verse that says my- I've, I've heard of that, but I don't understand that. <laughs> my, the, um, there's a verse by the Bible verse that says, my, your enemies shall become your footstools. And we think, oh, you know, we, we're going to get elevated. We're going to be over them. We're going to get a, you know, like a raise and a promotion over them. No, you're going to learn how to shut up. You're going to learn how to be calm. You're going to learn how to be filled with the spirit of God, love, joy, peace, long suffering. And we think that stuff comes, you know, like, okay, if somebody give me something, I'm going to be grateful. No, people give you stuff and you want more. You know, it, it works the exact opposite. So yeah, I, I believe that God will... Um, even when we pray and people think, well, if I pray, it's going to come out the exact way I wanted to know. When we pray and we still go move forward in faith and trust in God, it doesn't have to look like what we thought it was going to look like because we have to be saved. And like you said, Karen, uh, some of this stuff, we got to get, well, not some, we got to get this stuff worked out of us. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, mm-hmm. it's not going to be easy. You're going to have to. And you know, you know, the thing about it is, God has to burn off the dross off of us. And so, you know, I remember in Jeremiah's day, the people just wanted to hear things that were pleasing and things that were, they want, you know, that they like to hear. But, you know, what dross don't get burnt off with, you know, just praise and pleasing things being said to us, you know, because we are, our heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our minds are reprobate. So how in the world, you know, the devil is the one that will deceive us and just tell us all pleasing things and, you know, and stroke us and all of that kind of stuff. That's not what the Lord, that's not what the Holy Spirit is here for. The Holy Spirit is to lead us into all truth. If the truth is you are low down, dirty scum, then that's what the truth is. But I believe the Lord, it will be, he's merciful and kind and compassionate in, in bringing us to that. He doesn't just show us who we really are. You know, we have to grow. Some of this stuff we can't accept about ourselves, you know? Right. We have to get to a better place where we can accept it. He's, he's merciful. Other people may see it and they can tell us about it. And then we go right over our heads. We'll be like, really? You think that? I don't even right. think that. No way. Right. I think a lot of pastors, hopefully they realize that their wives, the wife that they choose is going to have an influence on their service for the Lord. Uh, especially when you start teaching classes and um, counseling with people. If you have a unconsecrated spouse, people know it. And then it's kind of like, how are you going to talk to me when your household is in a, mm. you know, so you kind of stuck there, especially when you get to talking about marital relationships and stuff and people <laughs> your relationship with your wife. I'm so, not sure which one it was. If it was Dave, I think it was David. But because he had compromised so much that he was not able to speak to the people in the way that they needed to be spoken to because he himself felt guilty when he opened his mouth. And that's just what Satan wants us to do, too, is feel, mm-hmm. get us to do something and then keep it in the forefront of our minds, almost so much that we cannot see Christ. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, when these guys graduate from college, coming out to be ministers, they don't have a clue what they're up against, right? You know, they don't know. Some of them are not consecrated to the level that they need to be because they don't know. They have, I mean, this thing is a growth thing for everybody. When they get into a church, they're thinking, 
I think sometimes they're mistaught. I think sometimes they, someone is teaching these people. You, you got, and I believe it was so. It was true in the past. Oh, you know, you're in control, and people just have to do what you say. You're the leader. That was way back in the day, and I believe a lot of you know people did that. But now people are like, uh, after you go through so many pe- pastors changing, you like, nah, I don't think so, buddy. You coming in here, you're gonna be leaving in five years. So I think we need to maintain a little something, something for ourselves. So I do think they're not prepared. They're not ready for what they're getting ready to come into. I mean, what does like a 24-year-old male know about a 50-year-old woman who's been raped and maybe, you know, um, molested as a child and she's coming and bringing all that to him? He has no clue. It's pretty much similar to any of us getting married or having a relationship at a young age. You Mm -hmm. haven't had any experience, so you don't know what you're about to get into. And you have all these expectations. Oh, he or she gonna do this and he or she gonna do that. And then what you run up against is another individual. They didn't sign up to be your slave or your puppet. So now you're wondering, hey, I'm supposed to do this, but I'm being blocked because he or she wanna do something different. It's the same way with pastors, just like it is with most people. And um, people do think because you went to uh, just say Oakwood or Andrews or wherever that you have answers, you still don't have all the answers. You ain't never going to have all the answers. And not only that, too, when you marry, people say, um, you have to really think about that verse, be ye not uniquely yoked. You have people who are in church who believe in giving only tithe, no offering. Or, you know, the wife is like, well, I want to give like 50% of our income. And the husband's like, I, I, I'm going to give 2%. You know, that's not even the 10 that God is asking for. So you still have people, you know, some people are like, I want to be a vegetarian. The husband's like, no, we're going to be eating this meat. And we, I don't even really believe we shouldn't eat pork. You got all kinds of stuff going on, even within, within God's house. You know, you got people saying two different ideas about who God is. That's true. That's true. I just, I think, I think that, I think for all married or people considering marriage, that they should really allow God to weigh in on it more than, than, than we do. You know, there was a time when parents chose, you know, who you married because they knew you and then they knew, um, you know, what would be a good fit for you. Well, we've thrown all of that to the wind, you know, and we just pick whoever we want. Parents can't even say if they like the person or not. Okay, no, they can say it, just 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 disregard no, it. No. Well, let me tell you, if you say it though, you risk your kids not speaking because they want this person so bad and stuff. And then you know when they get what what you said, hey, listen, you know this man is controlling, girl. He's trying to tell you how to you know how to what bra to wear every day. <laughs> uh, they don't hear it. You know they they're not hearing that. Nah, cause they in love. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Right, right, <laughs> right. Uh, getting back to the the chapter, uh, uh, paragraph four fifty one point one. She talks about how ministers' wives used to be in former years, and she says that they endure want and persecution. She says when their husbands suffered imprisonment and sometimes death, these noble, self sacrificing women suffered with them. And their reward shall be equal to that bestowed on their husbands. And then she mentions a couple of, of, women, of, of 
pastor's wives and she said that they suffered for the truth. They suffered with their companions. And they sacrificed home and friends in every sense of the word to aid their companions in the work of enlightening those who sat in darkness to reveal to them the hidden mysteries of the word of God. Their lives were in constant peril. To save souls was their great object and for this they could suffer cheerfully. And so, you know, we, we, we all refer back to the good old days, you know, um, we can all look back and say, well, things used to be different. Things used to be better. Things used to be. And so I think this is uh, her referring back to those times when ministers' wives did suffer with their husbands and, and were completely involved in the work with their husbands. And some of the things that we have read uh, as we have been studying in Testimonies for the Church uh, this this volume one, we have seen where Sister White herself sacrificed a lot, even to the extent that she, for a long time, other people were raising her children because she was on the road with her husband. Mm -hmm. And so we see a lot of that sacrificial work having been done, even in her uh, marriage. Yeah, if you read about the what we call the pioneers, Adventist pioneers, they really uh, did sacrifice for the work, you know, their houses, their land, their uh, time, talent, temple, and treasure. And mm -hmm. it's just more like, it seems like there's many people who enter the work of the ministry and they don't really have that type of fervor. They want, you know, to make $100,000 and have a nice big car and a big house, you know, which those things are good in their place, but it's not always what, is going to happen, especially if you're a pastor and you're going wherever the Lord sends you. Some mm -hmm. things don't happen, and it's just kind of a different. It's a different way of looking at the occupation. Now, it used to be I'm I'm called to the ministry to do God's work, as opposed to I'm called to the ministry because it looks like a good job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, and down in the next paragraph. 451.2, she talks about the minister's wife speaking words of discontent and discouragement to her, to her husband and just basically disheartening him and crippling him in his labor. And um, she says that the wife should conform her wishes and pleasures to duty and give up her selfish feelings for the sake of Christ and the truth. And she says Satan has had so much to do with controlling the labors of the ministers through the influences of selfish, ease-loving companions, which goes back again to you know, you kind of knew that when you were dating the person to me, you know, even if, Maybe. even if, even if the person was not, um, was not, um, a minister yet and he was still studying or whatever, you, you kind of know, you kind of know what personality the person has that you're, that you're dating. But again, you know, sometimes people want what they want. They want who they want and they just don't really think about the, the personal characteristics of that person until now they are in the work and they see that their their spouse is pulling away from the work, so to speak. Were you oh, gonna say something, Lee? I don't know, Karen, if they can, if, you know, I don't know. I just think when people, and I'm assuming we're talking about young people, I'm thinking 20 to 25, maybe 20 to 30. Then, and you marry people, um, I think people like on their best behavior, especially if you have like a quick marriage. I got, I met my boo, let's say we was 
met and then dated in three months and then was married in another what? Another six months, maybe, because it was in May, so four or five. So it didn't take long, you know. So, I mean, we were very blessed because we just two awesome, wonderful, drop dead gorgeous people, but it is <laughs> what it is. But, you know, looking back on that, uh, you know, how much did I really know about Lee? I mean, how much I didn't, you know, we're on our best behavior. We don't live together. You know, we're on our best behavior. We only see each other on the Sabbath, maybe one time during the week, you know, talk on the phone. I'm not going to talk on the phone and complain and whine about church. I, you know, we look at things about each other, how cute he is, <laughs> maybe talking about the last date we had, when we're going on the next date, you know, that kind of thing. So it's possible for you not to really, some of this stuff ain't going to come out, you know, right away or, or is hidden and, you know, like sometimes like controlling people, you know, they might say little stuff like, some of them are flaming and controlling, okay? They just out there, you know that. But then there's those other ones who like, are you gonna, uh, you gonna be late for Sabbath school? Or are you, are you, how come you was, you was like five minutes late? You know, you can feel a little something there, but you think, yeah, I should be on time for Sabbath school. That person don't have any business telling you about Sabbath school. You got the Holy Spirit, leave me alone. You know, so um, you can see sometimes, but not always, I think. You know, and then I don't think, I really don't think people know what is required to be a Christian. I don't think most of us know that. I think true about the young, young couples. It'd be worse, you know, if you have an, a mature couple that's been married for quite a while and the spouse is still selfish and only thinking of themselves and not working with the pastor. And you know, that'd be a real problem because that's showing a lack of spiritual growth also, whereas as a young person, it's, it's where you're starting, but you can always grow closer to Christ. But if you're up in age and you steal that type of person, something's been missing. And you know, it says in the uh, next paragraph down, it talks about the wife with meekness and humility, yet with noble reliance, she should have a leading influence upon the minds around her. So the, the um, pastor's wife, should be a leader upon the members also and people around her and should bear her part, her cross in the meeting, around the family, in conversation. And then it says the people expect this and have a right to expect it. So when we meet a pastor's wife, yeah, we're thinking that she should be an example of Christ just like he's supposed to be. That's mm -hmm. what people are. And when you find a spouse who's not those things, you kind of wonder, hey, what's going on here? You know, what's her problem or what's his problem? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I do and, and, and go ahead. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, you know, as Lee was saying, we do expect a pastor's wife to aid him in the work and to have a, a gathering influence instead of a scattering influence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, thinking, um, I was thinking this too, is that as you said earlier, when you first came on, I haven't really had, you know, like I haven't seen a lot of pastor's wives with a great influence on the church. The ones we've seen, I think, tend to try and take a back seat, so to speak. They tend to, I think one of the reasons because our pastors move, used to move more often, so they didn't want to get too overly involved. And some of them, I think, are just saying, hey, that's the pastor's job. 
So I'm just going to step back a little bit, but it can work as a partnership. You know, they should work hand in hand because there's always situations where a female can do more good than a man can do, you know, depending, especially when you're talking about counseling and talking to the members. Lee. Hey, Lee. Uh Uh-huh. You you said a a man and a female, you could have called the man a male or just a woman and a woman instead of a female. Don't be telling us, telling my husband what to do. I'm sure you know the difference. (laughs) I know, but the way you put it. Mm-hmm. Carry on. Uh, okay. Uh, down in the next paragraph, she talks about how a, a wife who's laboring in the cause of truth, sometimes she can understand and reach people that her husband cannot reach. And that's something uh, my husband and I have always talked about that some people are our people, but they may not be your people. Some, some people will be able to reach, but you may not be able to reach them. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I think that's certainly the case that, you know, because of our personalities, because of our experiences, there will be certain people that we can reach that other people won't be able to reach. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's important to keep that in mind that, you know, I'm not going to be able to reach everybody my husband can reach. He's not going to be able to reach everybody I can reach. Mm-hmm. But if we work together you know, we would reach more people than if we, you know, one of the things that worked alone. One of the things Lakita and I always decided up front was that if we were involved with counseling church members, that she would counsel the females and I would counsel with the males. So mm-hmm. to cross any lines and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's the part mm-hmm. where it's talking about this, the pastor's wife can do that type of thing where she can labor, especially among this uh, sisters of the church mm-hmm. as on paragraph 452.2 mm-hmm. okay um, any other comments there okay let's get going down to the next paragraph and she says that the wives of ministers should live devoted prayerful lives um and she said that some enjoy a religion in which there are no crosses to bear and which calls for no self-denial and exertion on their part. And we all know that the scriptures tell us every day to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. So if we're truly following Christ, do some people have a cross to bear? All of us do. All, of all us people. Yeah. Everybody has a cross to bear. Um, and, and, and if we were truly working for souls, then I think some of the times that we spend in ease, and now, of course, we're in, we're in COVID-19 right now, but some of the times before that, that we spent in ease and comfort, uh, if we were truly following Christ, we would have gotten up out of our beds like on the Sabbath when we go take a nap after church or whatever and gone and done some witnessing or gone and passed out some tracks or some flyers or something like that. Um, Because we all have a cross to bear, all of us. Um, Yeah, you were talking earlier about how things used to be. And that's one of the things that used to be, you know, back in my home church, we would go out every other Sabbath. It was like, that was the thing. Every other Sabbath, Everybody knew we were going to go out in the community and do something, hand mm-hmm. out literature, hand out clothing, visit mm-hmm. the, or do something. 
So it was just part of it. And mm-hmm. kind of like a big event to get people to, to do anything. You know, it's right. like the schedule time and you got to let them know five months in advance and all <laughs> type of things. But mm-hmm. what we were doing was we already knew when you came into the church, that was part of being a church member. You were going out mm-hmm. every other week to do some mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I remember. Uh, okay, go ahead. I, I remember growing up at Oakwood, and I can remember going out in gathering. And I remember those blue cans. I don't know if anybody else remembers that. I remember those yes, blue cans that we would take and go out in gathering, you know, uh, or or the tent efforts that, um, you know, and 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 now, you know, we might do a one week revival, but those tent efforts that used to be done, they would run a month, at least a month. You know, um, it was and, like and, 13 weeks, yeah. And you'd be there, you'd be there for them, but all that has changed now. And, and we don't, we don't do things the way that we used to now. Obviously, also, you know, things have changed in a good way too, because now we can reach people, like for instance, even with our uh worship services, we can reach people all over the world now instead of just those in our actual locality. Um, but you know, but, Sister Karen. I, go ahead. I said growing up, I went back home and I think it was 2017. And I went, you know, back to my Adventist church because I was in Muncie and I think I was doing something with the university. And I stayed in a hotel. When we got out of church, my and I think I shared this before, my great niece was like, and my sister said, where are you going? I said, well, you know, when I leave church in St. Louis, I usually just go home and rest. They had me out passing out tracks. They had the little cans for in-gathering. And I was like, I just want to get to my hotel room. I mean, I was exhausted. And they was like, then we come back to the church and we have our fellowship meal. And I was just like, but this is 2000 or something. I hadn't seen those cans, and the way I understand my sister that's in charge of being a superintendent at Sabbath school, they do this every week. And I thought, I was so exhausted, but I said, I just forgot, you know, when I grew up, it was like that. So I assumed that, you know, when I went back home, all that stuff was gone. I guess in a small town, you can keep it going. But I said, I was just amazed that it was still going on. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, that, that, and that's a good thing, you know, I, and I think if you get used to that, you don't think anything of it, you know, it's fun to do. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, let's see down in paragraph 452.3, she talks about how, if these ministers wives would lean confidingly in childlike trust upon God, have their affection centered in Jesus, deriving their life from Christ, the living vine the amount of good that they would do and then uh, and the amount of help that they might give others and, and be a support to their husbands, what a great reward would be theirs in the end. Um, and when she's next paragraph, she says, those who will not improve the talent which God has given them will fail of everlasting life. Mm. Um, I think about that a lot sometimes when, you know, uh, we have a tendency with those people who are um, committed to doing service and service in the church. We have a tendency to overwork the few that are committed instead of tapping into the ones that 
you know, aren't doing anything. And um, I think that, you know, and I, and I don't quite know how we engage those people who aren't doing anything. And maybe Lakita can speak on that, but, uh, well, you I know, think we overwork you know, people that are doing something. I do think that we need to engage people who are not involved in the church, but I also think we need to accept uh, what they give. Because as you know, I, I hear this same conversation a lot about, you know, like going out knocking on doors and, you know, and giving, I hated all of it. You know, I hate knocking on doors. I'm not interested in giving Bible studies. I know that there's something wrong with that, but I don't like it. Um, now I don't mind, you know, standing out in front of the thing, um, selling magazines and going door to door to sell books. I didn't mind being a call porter. I enjoyed doing that. But it just seems like kind of a little futile to me to be going door to door. That, that's just my opinion. So with that being said, I think we have to respect people's um, gifts and their talents. I think we need to keep it before the people. You know, a long time ago, which we, some people hated this, but I don't mind this. We had for Sabbath school, it, they would ask you, how many tracks given out this week? How many peoples did you witness to this week? How many, yeah, amen. How many people pieces of clothing did you give away? How many mm -hmm. people they used to do that and that kept it before the people, but it also said that there's more than one way to witness. We don't have to just like, you know, no problem, uh Patsy, I think it's a great thing. We don't have to just limit it to giving out tracks and knocking on doors, you know, that that those two things are giving Bible study, those things are like. If we're not doing that, you're not doing anything. And that's not true, you know. And then in the same breath, we will say, you know, let your, well, the Bible says this, let your light shine before men. And then we say uh, this, I'd rather see a sermon than hear a sermon. But if we meekly and humbly walk about doing our, our lives and just being a Christian and, and, genu and um, genuine about it, being generous where we can, you know, the when those opportunities come up or, or, if, or if we're led by the spirit to do what we do, then that's, if we're not doing corporate stuff, it's like it doesn't count. So I think that's where the problem is coming at. You know, we don't know if these people are actually not doing anything. We just don't have a way of, you know, like keeping it, A, keeping it in the forefront of their minds and B, you know, having a way to account for what they're doing. You yeah, they used to have the personal ministries report. But you see, we no longer have personal ministry leaders, so we ain't getting a personal ministry report either. But one thing those who improve the talent which God has given them, we don't all have the same talents. We don't have all the same ability to do the different outreach ministries. But as long as you're doing something that God leads you to do, then that's a good thing. Okay, I got a question. I got a question on that. I had an elder t uh, make a comment that if we haven't saved any souls for the kingdom of heaven, then when we get before Christ, we're not going to be able to go into heaven. And I said, wonder if you are trying to give uh, Bible studies and let's just say the person, you know, seems to be interested and then they seem to be not. I said, so is, is it somewhere in the Bible that says if we don't gets win somebody over to Christ that when we get to heaven, we can't enter? First of all, Patsy, none of us is going to win a soul. 
The Lord is going to do that. All we do is plant the seed and God gives the increase. And so so it, does, it doesn't mean that if, if, we, if we don't give a Bible study, we could be, like you said, doing something like giving clothes or doing something, whatever. Exactly. That doesn't mean we can. Okay, because I exactly. said, you know, it, it, it really weighed on my heart. I'm like, I don't know if I'm being productive at giving Bible studies, but I know, you know, I said, I'm not even sure my tracks are, are being, but the way he put it to, to, to us, it was that if you haven't got a soul that you have saved into God's kingdom, then there's no way you can enter. I mean, that's you need, what I'm, I was hearing. He, need, he needs to be corrected. He needs to be told. None of us have a soul that we saved in God's kingdom. God saves all souls. All God. Okay, thank you. The only thing he wants you to do, want me to do, want all of us to do is what he says. And if Pansy, if the Lord says to you, leave a track here, leave a track there. If that's your ministry that God has called you to, and you are joyfully doing your ministry, or you don't, you know, if you're doing your ministry that he's told you to do, that's what God requires of you. Now he says, okay. he says my word will not return unto me void. So the, the point is, is when you put that track out there, you can praise the Lord for whatever soul is going to pick it up because he's promised his word is not going to return to him void. And you, and well, one, more you thing, one more thing. That, made it, that made it clear. Yeah, thank more, you. That made it a lot clear. One more thing, Pastor, is this. You know, when you um, are on this phone and I hear your voice, let's say that nobody knows what's going on in my heart. If you tell me a story about something in your childhood or your past or about your family, and I am inspired by that story, maybe that's what's going to keep me going on. And who knows? Maybe that'll be your star. Maybe that'll be one of the stars in your crown. So we don't even know which work we're doing or what we're doing that's going to bring a soul to the decision to follow Christ, because that's what we can do. It only help to bring that person to the decision. That's all we can do. Okay, I'm glad that that made more sense to me. But I said, I, I just thank you for giving me some clarification on that. You know, one of the things right. that happens when people say that is, especially pastors, pastors are judged by the conference by how many people they baptize. <laughs> they want to see people actually hit the water. Numbers, yeah. You think about it, <clears throat> how many people did Jesus baptize? Uh -oh. None. Uh -huh. no. No. So baptism, seeing a person baptized is not the criteria. It's what type of witness are we being in the as mm -hmm. we put out in the various ways that we can and do witness. That's what right. Jesus is looking at, our heart, our intent for right. somebody about his love. Right. And you know what's funny about that too is that Patsy, I believe there will be people in heaven that just observed you, never even talked to you about anything, but they observe mm -hmm. your Christian lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And they, 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 they made it to heaven because they thought, whatever she's got, I want some of that. Mm -hmm. What if just because we're all a part of this group and that we are encouraging each other by studying the word together, that this mm -hmm. right here is keeping each of us uh, into a growing relationship with Christ. I believe that that counts. I believe that, mm -hmm. you know, that he's, right. he's pleased with that work. Right. I believe that too. I believe that absolutely. Um, let's see here. One of the things, Karen, I think it was in the, it's in the same paragraph you read, but a little bit farther down, it says some people, I guess we're talking about unconsecrated wives of ministers. 
they will not take trouble to work, but lay down their oars and contentedly let the current carry them downstream. And I recall a phrase that says, any old dead fish can float downstream, but it, <laughs> it takes a real live salmon to swim against the current. Right, right. And, and, and with that, um, yeah, absolutely. And then in the next paragraph, she says, a self-sacrificing missionary spirit is lacking among the companions of our ministers. Mm -hmm. It is self first and then Christ second and even third. Mm -hmm. Never should a minister take his wife with him unless he knows that she can be of a spiritual help and that she is one who can bear and endure and suffer to do good and to benefit souls for Christ's sake. And at the bottom of that paragraph, it says they should not seek they should not think too much of pleasant feelings because what have feelings to do with duty? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times we're caught up in how we feel instead of principle. God, God's word contains principles to live by because the devil is going to, if, if he can, he's going to sift us like wheat. If he can, you know, we will be standing on sand that is shifting and we don't want to be thrown about with every wind of, you know, with every wind. And so we have to be that person that builds our house upon the rock so that whenever the storms come, whatever they are, however they beat, we, are, we live our lives based on principle and not on feelings. Amen. Uh, and then going down to the last paragraph, it says, she says, I saw that it is no light thing to be a Christian. Mm. It is a small matter to profess the Christian name, but it is a great and sacred thing to live a Christian life. Amen. There is but a little time now to secure the immortal crowns who have a record of good acts and fulfilled duties recorded in heaven. And then she says, every tree is judged by its fruit. Everyone will be judged according to his deeds, not his profession of his faith. The question will never be asked, how much did he profess? But what <laughs> fruit did he bear? If the tree is corrupt, the fruit is evil. If the tree is good, it cannot produce evil fruit. And so I think that being said, we need to pray that we are a good tree. And that where we are not a good tree, that the Lord would cleanse us of the defects and deformities in our characters. Because while this chapter was about ministers' wives, there are things in here that we can glean from it that even in our own relationships and in, in families that we need to be an influence that gathers rather than one that scatters. Amen. 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 It's funny. How much did he profess? <laughs> right. Right. Because the professors are going to be the ones that Jesus says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. <laughs> so anyway, um, all right. Any other comments uh, before we close out? Yeah, I said, I just think in terms of, and I said, I can speak for Northside. And I said, and then, you know, I visit y'all's church a lot. I think we have had some alt, some awesome uh, first ladies uh, said, and I, I said, and like I said, I just think they've been awesome. Mm -hmm. I think, okay. I think the first women, uh, first ladies, I'm sorry, of this recently, yeah, they are more active, they are more involved, more personable. Yes, I do feel like, um, you know, we've had better. But I just think, you know, I don't hold anything against anybody in the past because I think the church was, 
was something different than what it is now, you know, so. Church is always evolving because we are the church. Right, right. And we have to remember that we are the Laodicean church also. Mm -hmm. So we have a work to do to gain a crown and to hold on to it. All right, uh, Lee, what are we studying next week? Chapter nine, Eden Restored in the book Heaven by Ellen White. Chapter nine. Okay, all right. Um, okay, with that said, Patsy, do you mind closing us out with prayer? I don't have a problem. Bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for another Sabbath day. We thank you for just covering us with your blood. Lord, we we continue to praise you for sending the Holy Spirit that can reach our minds. Lord, give us your understanding, your wisdom, and your knowledge placed in our minds, our body, and our souls, that we may go out and tell others of your goodness. Lord, we ask that you will forgive us of our sins, our inequities, and our transgressions. Lord, we ask that you will save each and every one of us into your heavenly kingdom is our prayer. We ask these things in your holy and precious name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. 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 And we will see you back again next week, same time. All right. We'll Thank see you for everybody. joining us.